Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, Faith Radio family. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this Thursday morning. It is the 16th of June. Sure has been a fun week with all of you. It's been a week of encouragement, a week of information, conversation, and it's just such a great way to get up and start our day together as the community of men and women that we are that are following Jesus in this world, uh, trying to figure out our way through some of the more difficult conversations and headlines as well, but we do have a beautiful shepherd that walks alongside of us. Paul Perot, great to see you Good in morning. studio as well. I've got a nice hot cup of coffee this morning. I had a friend of mine that just got back from Guatemala and uh, straight oh. from the, the coffee bean fields, I guess. I don't know if they're fields or Guatemala orchards. or what they're, oh, it's, so good. Yeah, so we're off to a good start this morning. We've got Ben Johnson up first in just a minute, and of course, that kicks us off uh, really well always on Thursday mornings, and we're going to have a, a conversation about transgender ideology so it's it it's a little bit of a, of a heavy topic i mean i know mm-hmm. a lot of people are trying to walk through understanding what's going on with all of the sexual blurring and and sexual conversations over these last i don't know five or six years and, and 10 well, years longer I mean, than long, that but but particularly it seems to have accelerated yeah and and the confusion just continues to reign in how to handle this and and we'll talk about a number of different angles of this trans ideology story but one thing i think that would be helpful is always asking the question, how, how, did, how would Jesus handle these kinds of situations? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all. And, and I love that he's described as being filled with grace and truth. He, he really does hold that tension of both grace and truth at the same time. And when you read the stories of Jesus, um, he, he seems to have a ton of sympathy and a ton of compassion for the people who have been impacted by I don't maybe leadership in the world, people who are holding religious positions, people who are on the fringes and on the margins. There really is a compassion. They are welcome at his table, not to celebrate everything that's going on, mm-hmm. but they come to his table in order to maybe hear a different kind of voice of truth that leads him into authentic peace as opposed to the illusory or false peace uh, of just however we do our life. We, we tend to follow idols all the time. And so he does offer on one side grace and compassion. There is a open-heartedness and everybody was at his table. But on the flip side of it, where Jesus really did get angry at times. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we, we can't shy away from that part of the conversation. And from the, the people for whom Jesus reserved his anger were those people that were perpetrating the false ideas. They were the teachers who should have known better. They were the people who were creating the ideas of that Jewish culture. And boy, oh boy, Jesus turned over table uh, tables in the temple at times. He called them broods of vipers, hypocrites, you Pharisees, you teachers of the law. You travel over land and sea to make a convert to yourself and you make them twice as much of a son of hell as you are. So we have to hold this tension of saying, look, the people who've been impacted, just open-heartedness, compassion, but for those people that are perpetrating false ideas, there, there's maybe a different response. Yeah, there was a call back to God's beautiful created order and design that he had and and flourishing. I, I, I guess I keep going back to that word in my mind because that's what he wanted for people, not trying to peg him, you know, because you're talking about the religious leaders and it's like, 
they set up all these rules, all this stuff to hold other people down is what it really came down to. Yeah, it re- it really did. And and they did keep him out of that flourishing and, and even the sense of the good news and the hope. And so when we talk to Ben Johnson in just a minute, we're going to get into this story yeah. about how Fox News was, has been celebrating Pride Month, which is new for Fox News this year. For Somewhat, sure, they haven't yeah. really done it as extensively as they're doing it now. And they really celebrated the story of a family in which they embraced a trans ideology for their five-year-old uh, boy, and um, and it just is a tricky story. So I think we can look and say, hang on a minute, Fox News, and there should be some anger on that mm-hmm. side of things, even while there's a compassionate um, sort of sympathy for people who are being led astray. And that's what we're going to talk about with Ben Johnson up next here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for today. minutes past the top of the hour. Ben Johnson joins us on Mornings Without Carmen. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Peter. Good to be with you as always. Oh, it is. It's always a delight to get your perspective on some of these more difficult headlines that are going on. And, and I set up this headline of something we saw from Fox News this week where they aired a story praising a family who allowed a five-year-old girl to begin transition, transitioning to the opposite sex, claiming that the move was inspired by their conservative faith and that God created the child transgender. This is a, a girl named Ryland Whittington, who now identifies as a boy. And Fox News celebrated that with them. This is just a really interesting story with a few pieces that you and I should talk about. Uh, it was, as you uh, mentioned with Paul at the top of the hour there, this is kind of a, a new undertaking for Fox. They've been trending this way for some time. Uh, certainly, uh, Megan Kelly had uh, some ties to the LGBTQ community when she was on the air in prime time, but that's been a few years now. And the idea of them having a regular recurring feature to celebrate Pride Month uh, for LGBTQIA uh, communities is really something that uh, seems to be a new uh, undertaking. The story by uh, Brian Enos uh, aired during uh, America's Report with uh, Dana Perino, former uh, George W. Bush appointee. And as you mentioned, they go through the story of Ryland Whittington, uh, whose mother wrote a book about uh, about this uh, situation, that at five years old, Ryland said that uh, she was uh, a boy. She identified as a boy. And according to uh, the mother, even before she could speak, she communicated uh, that she was a different gender, uh, that uh, she didn't like to wear uh, female clothing, for example. So they allowed uh, this girl at five years old to begin transitioning as a boy and identifying as a boy. And it was celebrated and it was presented without the slightest bit of discouragement or pushback. And uh, that that's concerning because, of course, Fox News uh, for the longest time has been the one place on the cable spectrum that respected the values of people uh, like our listeners who don't uh, who do not believe that uh, gender is something that is simply uh, picked up and cast aside at whim, that uh, sex is a biological reality rooted in uh, the way that we are created in our DNA, and that the complementarity of the sexes reflects the glory and the symmetry and the beauty of our creator. Yeah, let's get into a few of these angles now, Ben. One of them, let's talk specifically about Fox News. I talked about the top of the hour that Jesus really did 
not have a lot of patience for those who are perpetrating false ideas. And I think for those Christians who have wedded their faith expression with news organizations like Fox News, I, I think that this just lays bare the naked ambitions of news companies. You, you've been a journalist for many, many, many years, and you know the drill here that news is not intended to try to just help people understand the world around them anymore. It really is a money-making venture. And I think that we can safely say that Fox News is reading the demographic tea leaves, and they're beginning a process of reaching out to a different kind of community to help improve their numbers and their money. This is not faithful news. It never really has been, and neither is CNN or or many of these news organizations. They are money-making ventures that demographically analyze people and bring stories to try to keep eyeballs on their sites. So for those people that have relied on news organizations like Fox or CNN to understand their faith, this is why people like you and me say, let's stop. Can we please just read the scriptures and and get into who Jesus was and what, what life is like in his kingdom? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the, the new boss over at CNN, Chris Light, has uh, indicated that perhaps he's going to steer that network back uh, into a less partisan course. And there has certainly been a change at the top. Some people attribute it to uh, the daughters of Rupert Murdoch or the entry of Paul Ryan onto uh, the board uh, that governs Fox News a few years ago. But whatever it is, we do not place our trust in Fox News. Uh, our faith is not in Fox News or in any organization whatsoever. Our faith is in our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, male and, clean, uh, male and female created he them when he looked at his creation. Uh, this story was disturbing in a lot of respects. And one uh, angle was simply that uh, they presented this as though if they hadn't done this, the child would have committed suicide. In point of fact, uh, studies have shown over several years that as many as 95% of children who struggle with their gender identity eventually reconcile themselves to that identity, uh, usually by the time they reach 18. But the most, the most concerning aspect, as you mentioned, was the theological angle. At one point, they said that her quote-unquote conservative faith is uh, what led the mother to embrace this transgender ideology of her, her young child. Uh, and to allow her to to transition to uh, to be uh, to identifying as a boy, Thomas Merton talked about this a little bit. And Thomas Merton is not someone whom I would uh, recommend in every aspect. But he wrote the younger that he was, the, the more accurate he was. He was a wonderful writer in his day, and he wrote a, a book that I would recommend to all uh, of your listeners uh, called "The Seeds of Contemplation." The original copy, not the new Seeds of Contemplation. The original 1948 version is available online. But uh, he he talked about reality this way. He said, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. That's the man I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God doesn't know anything about him. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self, that self that exists only in my own egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality of life to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Now, he wrote that well before the transgender ideology became uh, such a part of the warp and woof of our lives, and yet he is laying bare that the real struggle in life goes all the way back uh, to the, the Garden of Eden, that we have to choose this day whom we shall serve, whether it be God or whether it be mammon. And uh, whether it be self or others, and ultimately that was the bargain that the uh, the serpent made, you shall be as God's knowing right and wrong for yourself, determining right and wrong for yourself. Or we can accept and embrace the reality as God has created us, that he's created us specific, unique, 
in his image, his bearers of his likeness, and that in some way as we are united to him, then we will reflect that glory uh, if we hew to his will, as difficult as it may be for us to crucify self and to walk in that path, uh, whatever it may be that he has laid down for us. Talking with Ben Johnson this morning, and we are working through a story of transgender ideology that was promoted by Fox News and some of the different angles of this story. Ben, you said really well in that last statement some things around how we are created. When we come back in just a minute, I want to pick up that part of the conversation because we maybe alternatively have not done enough work reconstructing what is actually true. We can identify what is false in this moment, but I think you and I could talk about some things that we can say safely about how God has created us sexually and where we've gone astray in that. So stay with us, Ben, and I will talk about that next on Mornings Without Carmen. Talking with good friend of Mornings with Carmen, Ben Johnson this morning. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen, and we are working through uh, an article that Ben has uh, talked about and, and uh, some wonderful quotes in here, too. Ben, where can people find this work if they want to check out this article? Well, they can find it at my new home online, WashingtonStand.com. That's Washington Stand, uh, as in when you have done all, stand. Mm, I love that, Ben. Well, we're going to once again reset the idea that Jesus did have anger and frustration, and he demonstrated that. But uh, to the people to whom he demonstrated that were hardly ever the people that have been deeply impacted by the way in which our teachers and our leaders ha- have created societal norms. And so he turned over tables in the temple and, and he shouted out at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But for people that are just walking in daily life confused and concerned and don't know which way to go, the open-hearted, open-handed, open-armed embrace of compassion to walk the journey with uh, was always his approach, walking them to the table to, to teach what was true through the lens of grace and laughter and good-heartedness. And so one of the things that you referenced in this article that I think a lot of people understandably believe because it's been the narrative perpetrated is that we, we are created in a certain kind of way with a certain kind of sexuality. And we even see it in this article. It says that um, for me, it's just a deep spiritual belief, the mother of this transitioning young girl uh, said that we believe in God and he created us the way he wanted us. And Ben, Something that has not made its way into the public sphere is the idea that there isn't actually a sexual gene uh, for attraction that people are created with. There was a study done in 2019 of several hundred thousand people in Europe. Scientists did it. They were not believers. And uh, after they studied people's sense of sexual attraction and, and the possibility of a genetic code, what they found was that they couldn't find any sense of genetic code. And here was their statement. They said, we don't know what to do with this information because it is so counter to the common narrative of churches and news and politics that we don't really have anywhere to go with this. And and so where scientists are right now is they're studying in utero um, influences, they're studying early life influences, but you and me and, and Paul Perot and everybody listening this morning, we might have early memories, but those memories usually are at about two, three, four years old. And uh, And there's a lot of things that happen in those first few years prior to memory. And that's where science is investigating how attraction works. We don't hear any of this in the church or in politics or uh, in news organizations. And this is where we have to start surfacing this to help people. Absolutely. And this is, this is such an important study that you bring to light here. Uh, for the longest time, the propaganda in, in the general media, as you say, is that 
people are simply born with an attraction a certain way and that uh, it's inborn. There's nothing they can do about it. Uh, When I was a young man, I I very much believed this and uh, had very little time for people who um, had any criticism for people uh, who who, uh, had engaged in a certain kind of behavior because I believed that there was nothing that they could possibly do uh, to have changed it. And uh, the idea of of, uh, sexual attraction being hardwired and genetically encoded is, is something that almost everyone believes, and it is entirely false. Uh, everyone has, has uh, looked into this for a very long time. As you say, there have been multiple studies that have uh, attempted to try and locate uh, a sexual attraction gene, uh, the so-called gay gene studies, and every one of them has come up short. Um, when you think uh, logically of, uh, for example, twins who are genetically identical, uh, and yet, uh, you know, quite often, and, and the studies have gone into this uh, route many times, uh, there's a great deal of divergence between genetically identical twins. Uh, for that matter, there was, there was an attempt at one point to, uh, to try and find uh, some positive aspect of, of uh, why it is that uh, there is such a, an attraction. There were a couple of researchers at the University of Lethbridge in Canada back in uh, 2010 who were looking at the role homosexuality played in a culture in Samoa that's very accepting of, uh, of homosexuality, known as the uh, often I'm probably mispronouncing that, but uh, they, they were looking for an evolutionary benefit, and they couldn't find a benefit there either. Uh, so essentially what, what it comes down to is that uh, science has not located a, a reason, a locus for this, and they haven't found uh, the kind of uh, benefits that would allow them to promote uh, this as, as a, a healthier alternative lifestyle. So essentially what, what we have is the, the reality that God created us to reflect his glory, whatever our attraction may be, and whatever the reason for it may be. Uh, and uh, sexual attraction is the one thing that everyone in our sexo culture is willing to talk about, but there's so many other aspects of our culture uh, and of our personality where we are broken. And uh, yet when we look into the reflection of Christ, we are called to perfectly reflect him the way that a mirror is. Uh, one of the early church writers talked about the fact that our personality is like a mirror meant to reflect God perfectly. And since the fall, it's like a broken mirror that uh, reflects at different angles and refracts the light uh, in ways that almost like a funhouse mirror. And it is up to each one of us to take those parts that are out of alignment and bring them into alignment with God's will uh, through a process that uh, could be every bit as painful as physical therapy uh, in the heart. And yet when we do that, we reflect God and we become who we are intended to be and who he always meant us to be. Uh, We are not born the way that God intended for us to be. If we were, I was born gluttonous. Uh, And and so we know better than this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so well said, Ben. And I think then the unfortunate reality and and the, the very sad reality is that so many people, our loved ones, our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, uh, all of us, I'm sure most of us now know people who are walking in certain versions of sexual identities and ideology and, and people have been led astray. And it's it's for them, I think, Ben, it's incumbent upon people of uh, that are following Jesus to, to lead the way with a forbearing spirit to be compassionate, to be open-hearted, to to be kind and caring. This is this is a bit of a long game we're going to have to play. The the deceit is thick, the fog is real, and uh, and I think that we need to come alongside and walk in love and, and compassion for this season of time. Even while we are angry with those who are perpetrating the falsity, the people impacted by it, we need to have an open-hearted, open-armed posture of love. 
Absolutely. I mean, the biggest lies that our culture has swallowed is that uh, we should identify with our sin, that that is our true identity, when our identity is sons and daughters of the God Most High. Uh, second of all, that those who are it, that um, it, the loving thing to do is affirm people's behavior when that behavior may take them out of the will of God. And that third of all, that uh, anyone who does not affirm my behavior must hate me, uh, when in reality, those those of us, uh, we must love our our everyone, not merely uh, those who are uh, broken in this particular way, but all of us uh, have some kind of a, a sin that we're struggling with, and we have to love everyone, whatever sin it is that they're struggling with. We can't hate our brother because they struggle with a sin that's different than ours. And so we have to come alongside them, hold their hands, and all of us have to walk together in this walk of discipleship and remaking ourselves, renewing the world in the image of Christ. Uh, and all of, the, all of us must begin with ourselves, with our own relationship with Christ, but then love and care for and support our brothers and sisters who come to us in the church or who come to us as members of the church. Pray for them, walk with them, hold their hands, and love them until all of us reach uh, our goal which is the perfection of Christ, uh, which uh, neither has it, uh, neither has I seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, what shall be revealed for us. Yeah, great stuff, Ben. You said a lot of things that are true. Let's just uh, finish up our conversation with that. The, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We are all image bearers, every one of us. We are all broken, every one of us. So let's walk towards the truth together, arm in arm, with humility, knowing that it's only that Jesus that sets us free. Have a great rest of the morning, Ben. I appreciate all of your wisdom this morning. Always wonderful to speak with you, Peter. Thank you, and God bless. We'll take a short break and preview Adam Carrington, who's going to join us in the second half of this hour. There is a lot of Supreme Court decisions that came down yesterday, and Adam will walk us through them. Ben, so helpful with that. Let's just say one more time some of these things that are true around all of the transgender ideology, same gender marriage, that the, the people being impacted, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We are all broken, but we are also all image bearers, and we're called to live in a certain kind of truth together. And it's not a heavy-handed truth. It is the truth that sets us free that we can only find in the beautiful kingdom of Jesus. And so let's walk together towards all of that, not settling for false ideologies or, or the fog of deceit that has enveloped our world. Let's not look to our newscasters that are basically trying to exploit us for financial gain. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus together. And we'll do just that as we talk about some of the Supreme Court decisions that came down yesterday with Adam Carrington. Because I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today in studio with Paul Perot and with all of you as part of the Faith Radio family. And we had anticipated Adam Carrington joining us this morning, but so far Adam is missing in action. So we'll continue to try to hunt him down. In the meantime, we can continue where we were with Ben Johnson in the first half of this hour. And I know some of you have been texting in, so this would be a great time for you to text in any question that you might have about sexuality, about transgender ideology, about same-gender ideology, uh, divorce and remarriage, premarital sexuality, any of these things that have been so historically confusing because we just simply don't talk about them a lot. In the in church and in ministry settings, it is a topic that I've had, I would say, the privilege. I don't use that word lightly. Privilege is probably overused. Uh, but in this particular case, uh, I've had the privilege of teaching since around 2007 
seen, obviously, like you have all seen so much change in our understanding around sexual norms back in 2007, 8, and 9. We weren't even having conversations or questions about same-gender relationships in my sexuality and gender classes. That all changed around 2012, 13, 14 because of the approval of the Obergefell Amendment in which it changed the very nature of how we understand marriage in our country. And, and over these last seven or eight years, I've seen the snowball effect of that among young people. And, and the speed with which these things have changed is utterly breathtaking. Uh, I just I find it interesting to look back in my syllabus uh, some eight or nine years ago and just see what we weren't covering and what we are covering now. So if you want to text in at 877-933-2484, we can handle some of those questions. But I do want to revisit one thing, and it sounds like maybe we're having some better success finding Adam. But let yeah, me just, he found us. That's great. Well, let me revisit this topic really quickly for all of you. Again, for those of you that missed the first half of uh, this first hour, there is the the idea, and it has really become hardened, that we are created with a certain kind of identifying sexuality, that the one of the 70 or so letters that might identify us is part of a hardwired God-created design. We usually lean into the idea that uh, we, we trust somebody's point of view when they say, or experience when they say, I've been this way ever since I can remember, therefore God created me this way. And two things we can say about that. One is we need to trust people when they tell us about their experiences. I believe people when they say that they are attracted to the same gender or they're experiencing some kind of dysphoria, you you can honor that story and believe that to be true. But the rub in this part of that story is that there is a tremendous gap between memory and conception. It's somewhere around three to four years, typically, when you include the in utero experience. And so it's in those three or four years of pre-memory experience that scientists, not Christian scientists, just scientists, are doing so much work to try to understand how we come to certain versions of sexual attractions. But nobody is arguing that this is a genetic code. And so this statement that I was created this way, therefore I must be embraced this way, is based on a false narrative of science. This is just one piece of the puzzle. We could probably spend hours talking about that, but it is fascinating how a lie has been so entrenched and it's guiding so many people's understanding of themselves that we really need to talk about in the church. So you can text. I see some texts are coming in. I would love to continue to take them this morning. We can address them at various times at 877-933-933. 2484. But at this time, we have found Adam Carrington, and I know there were quite a few decisions that we could talk about that have come down this week. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you back. Thanks for taking a second go and round with us this uh, week on Mornings with Carmen. And uh, one of the interesting decisions that came out this week had to do with double jeopardy. And double jeopardy is the idea that you can't be tried for the same crime twice, but there is a nuance to this. So take us into this story. Yeah, and at first this may seem like it doesn't have salience to the broader population, but it it does in how it could be um, played out with with other cases. You had uh, a Native American, an American Indian, um, who was convicted of uh, assault and battery based on um, some uh, uh, based on having. Uh, uh, violated a, a an American Indian uh, code or a code that was written by American Indians and then was later prosecuted for the same act um, by the national government uh, and under national government law. But the catch was that the American um, 
uh, Indian regulations had been approved and sort of consolidated into the rules of the uh, of the national government. So the whole question is, with double jeopardy, you don't want the government to just be able to keep trying you over and over and over again. And uh, because that undermines the idea that you can be protected from the government by law. And so that was what they were trying to decide here. Now, what they ultimately did decide was that uh, American Indians are their own sovereigns. Um, they were trying to respect that and that the national government is its own sovereign. So you actually can be tried for both. I thought there was a pretty powerful dissent by Justice Gorsuch saying, no, no, no. In the end, the national government's behind both of these and what you're trying to. And so that you get into the problem of the same government trying to try you for the same crime over and over again. So that's why it matters to the broader public. I know most listeners are probably not American Indians. They're probably not that care that much about legal the legal codes that come out of uh, Native American tribes. But what this is really about is you want to make sure that uh, the government can't find ways, even sneaky ways, of constantly um, trying to try you over and over again if it can't get the result that it wants. Talking with Adam Carrington, there was a, a slew of Supreme Court decisions that came down this week, some of which we might not be as familiar with uh, compared to the Roe versus Wade decision of which we're still waiting uh, Adam, do we maybe see that decision coming down next week or the week after? Typically, they wrap up their docket at the end of June, right? Yes, that's what they always try to do. They had to go a little into July last year for certain reasons, but that's not typical. My guess is most likely it's going to come close to the very end. So next week is possible. I would still say it's probably the week after that. One reason I say that is not just because it's such a big case and they usually save those for the end, but... There was a second leak uh, from Politico about this case, and it wasn't the leak of a document like the big leak of Alito's opinion was, but it was a leak of information which said that as of May, uh, early May, there had been no um, dissent circulated um, opposing Alito's opinion. And what that tells me is there was still a good amount of writing left to be done meaning they're pro they probably are still writing as we speak, trying to put the finishing touches on the opinion. So I, I would still look for that to be most likely the last week of June toward the last days of June. Hmm. Immigration tends to be in the news on an ongoing basis, just depending on public policy. We see different versions of what happens at our southern border. And there was a case, Arizona versus San Francisco, that has some impact on this. So tell us about this one. Yes. Uh, so this was about what's called the public charge rule, where there is a policy that the government, if it believes you may become a public charge, in other words, someone who's going to tax the uh, benefit system of the of the states or the country, that you are not you're you're denied uh, the, the, the privilege of immigrating or becoming a permanent resident here. And the Trump administration had changed how you define that. And all it was was a change in what criteria. Uh, the criteria were really narrow before and uh, in a policy that the Clinton administration had put in place. And the Trump administration just said, we're going to expand what it means to be to tax the public system to include things like if you are on Medicaid or, or if you uh, take other non-cash welfare benefits. Um, 
for an extended period of time. So it wasn't just if you have a hard couple months, but it's, it was if you were on it for a year out of three years. And um, the rule was challenged in court. And uh, what happened was when the Biden administration came in, they just refused to defend it and they summarily reversed the rule. And on both counts, the court had some problems with it. Um, they, they, they did see there were some problems with uh, just reversing a rule without going through the normal process of trying to administratively uh, change that. But they also saw a problem with um, no one defending the rule uh, uh, as, as the Biden administration refused to. But what they ended up doing was digging the case. And what digging means is they deny it as improvidently granted, meaning they just decided that this wasn't the right time to answer this question. But what I found interesting and worth noting was uh, there was a concurring opinion signed by four of the nine justices saying we 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 got rid of this case because there were some messy details that made it hard for us to decide it well. Um, but uh, uh, but in the future, we would still like to decide, was this done correctly? Um, are we are we following the right constitutional and legal policies as far as determining this question of who we let in and who we don't? And uh, and that we should be willing to take that up in a better case going forward. Adam, we're going to step away for just a minute. But when we come back, what I'd love to talk about is a Justice Kavanaugh opinion on a hospital case that really does impact who has what power to create what law in the United States of America. And I also want to follow up on something you and I didn't have a chance to cover on Monday. And that was the latest on Justice Kavanaugh's protection detail, given the threat on his life last week and what we see with that moving forward with Supreme Court justices. Stay with us. More to come with Adam Carrington. That seems like some foreboding and brooding music. What is that, Paul Perot? It's a... uh it's it's a twelve a version of Twelve Nights of Christmas or Twelve Days of Christmas. Um, let's just put it this way: it's Scotus Miss, as as Adam Carrington likes to call it. So I thought <laughs> that's probably the best version of the song I could come up with for the occasion. I don't know, Adam. I think you and I might need some chance to recover from that music <laughs> choice. Well, I guess it depends upon whether Scotus Miss leaves you presents or coal. I think that's going <laughs> to good point. Be a big, it depends upon how you think some of these big cases come down. Whether you think that uh, 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 Chief Justice Roberts and the other Santas are, are are being are being nice to you or not, <laughs> Adam. I know that uh, in the news this last couple of weeks and maybe week and a half or so, we saw the disturbing situation in which Justice Kavanaugh's life was under threat. What are we noticing in terms of some of the responses now? What has the government done? Is there going to be a permanent protective detail around the justices? It, things have gotten awfully hot. Yeah, I don't know if it will be permanent, but what the Congress just passed was to expand again. They already expanded and had permanent um, protection of the justices and at their homes, not just at their um, uh, work, but it also expanded just recently in the last couple of days to protect the justices' families and to make sure that they're safe and secure when they're traveling or where they're going to work or to school or to things like that. So uh, I, I, I don't think that that especially will be permanent. Um, I hope the even the, the, the security that is being done now for justices is not needed to be permanent, but 
um, I think we do have to worry, um, given how weaponized this uh, uh, the partisanship of the court has become, that um, that that we we may be seeing a new era in how justices have to be protected. Um, that but. Uh, but for now, they are giving uh, extreme security, much more than normal, to the justices and to their families. And that's a result of the fact that um, there's been credible uh, threats and credible attempts now with Justice Kavanaugh on justices because of them just trying to do their job. Yeah, it's very difficult to watch. I remember in 2009, I read a book that was authored by Vince Flynn. It started the Mitch Rapp saga and series that he did before he passed away a few years ago. And it was called Term Limits, and it revolved in, around a story in which a disturbed individual assassinated two members of the judiciary in order to try to create space for a different kind of policy moving forward. And it seemed like high fantasy almost at the time, but we're starting to see some polls and some statistics where people are increasingly approving of potentially using violence in order to get their public policy way. Yeah, I, something I've, I, I know I've mentioned on the show in the past is Lincoln's quote, Abraham Lincoln's at the end of his first inaugural, where he, in the face of the Civil War, said, you really have two ways of deciding things, uh, bullets and ballots. And a great thing that we have done is to say that we will peacefully use ballots and the persuasion and discussion that leads up to and follows ballots to adjudicate our differences and to try to work out what we do as a common people going forward through that means. And to revert to bullets is to revert to, um, uh, you know, a less just and less safe society and one where might makes right in the most, um, you know, uh, dangerous of senses. So uh, that temptation has always been there. Uh, there have been times like the Civil War where we succumb to it. But um, it's, it's sad to see that individuals are being tempted even more and starting to take that other option, that other option that we hope we can move past and stay past into their hands. Yeah, well, and, there, and it is it's one of those um, situations that highlights, I think, Adam, that to put our trust in our country is different than saying we love our country and we support our country and we want to participate in what's going on in our country. But I think for those people who historically have wedded their faith with their national identity, it's not just the United States of America where that's happened over these last several thousand years. We, we see a lot of countries uh, over history in which they really believe God is on their side and that God is operating through the political sphere. But history is littered with examples in which nations rise and fall. And, th and that's actually the biblical witness is that nations will rise and fall. There's only one government that will be eternal. It's the government that rests on the shoulders of Jesus. And, and I think these really hard headlines, one of the ways in which we can process them is to make sure that our allegiance is to God's kingdom. That That is our citizenship, even as we participate, it is a way of maybe getting above the noise of all of this. I think so. And I think a lot of people need, I think the people you're especially talking about, need the gospel to correct their understanding of Christianity and their understanding of their faith. But I think I would just add on top of that, there's a lot of people who need the gospel in the first place where this, and I said this a little bit on Monday, where um, politics has become their religion even without the uh, veneer of God. Uh, their gods have become uh, abortion or guns or 
uh, name the issue that is hot button and or or, or being woke or being you know uh, a, a part of a, a national racial identity. Um, there, there's all sorts of options, and, and this happens left and right because there's a secular right as well as a secular left. And those people need the gospel to change them as well uh, and, and to take away their false gods. Um, I think that that's what the gospel does. It cuts through, it gets rid of false gods, and it makes you know that this life is important but not ultimate. And I think that can give a peace and a ability to participate actively but not apocalyptically in politics that we need to have now, especially given the way people talk and act about our, our political scene. Well, that's a great phrase, Adam. We we participate actively but not apocalyptically. I, w- I want to think about that a bit because I think that really does cut through the heart uh, of this part of how we understand ourselves in our country. There is another case I'd like to get to before I let you run, and that does have to do with Justice Kavanaugh as well. But in this case, it's an opinion that he wrote related to the American Hospital Association case. And it really doesn't have, it has an impact on who gets to set what laws and what regulations. So tell us about this case a bit. Yeah, this is another case where we thought it was going to be big and it wasn't, but why it's not matters for for people to think about. What what we have a problem with is that um, the bureaucracy, which has a role in government, um, has outsized its role by making too many laws. It makes laws where Congress should be doing so. And one way it does so is uh, the courts have kind of allowed it. They've kind of they, what they've done is they have a thing called Chevron deference, named after an old case in the 80s. And what Chevron deference, what what you really just need to know about it is that it defers or uh, sort of lets the, the bureaucracy do a lot of the rulemaking if there's any sort of question about what a rule might be or if there's any ambiguity. It basically defers and says, well, let the bureaucracy figure it out. And that really abdicates the judicial responsibility to interpret the law, and it helps abdicate the congressional responsibility to write the law as our Constitution has, has, has set it up. And what's interesting about this case is everyone thought, or many people thought, that the court would take that up here, uh, that they would uh, try to address whether that was the case. And what the court did was 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 to pass on it and to say, we're, we're, we're not going to address it here. We're going to find a way to decide the case otherwise. So it's another instance, uh, uh, I guess yesterday was deferment day, where they, they set aside for a future day that question. And, and it's going to come back. It's not going away as long as the bureaucracy is there. And it's a question that I think American voters should care about because we want people making our laws that the Constitution says so. We want the people interpreting the laws the Constitution says so. And we want it because ultimately the Constitution is based on the, the rule humanly of we the people. And so that's why I think this, this case was a chance to do so. And I think the court uh, passed on it. And I'm not sure it was the right decision to pass on it, but but they did. They, they took what could have been a 50, 60, 70, 80 page opinion, and they said it in about 15 pages because uh, I think they passed on the most important issue that was before them. That's great stuff, Adam. I appreciate the time. Before I let you run, uh, when does the Supreme Court go back into session again? Is it sometime later this fall? Um, well, once they go on, they will take a summer break once they have released all their opinions, and then they are required to begin the first Monday of October. That is when there's no official end to their session. They decide when their session ends. They've done through um, 
practice and, and habit. They've ended at the end of June, but they were required by law to begin the first Monday of October. So that's when the next session will begin. And they've already got some big cases lined up for that that I'm sure we'll be talking about in the future. Yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to ask the question. I know we're anticipating the Roe versus Wade decision, but there's a lot more to come. And again, Adam, thanks for taking the time twice this week to walk us through this during this high season of court decisions. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. Well, step away for just a moment and come back and wrap up this first hour of Mornings with Carmen. Sure glad we were able to catch up with Adam Carrington, walking us through some of these recent decisions. Not as well known, but they are going to affect us moving forward as we do our life together in this country, I know a number of you also were starting to write in and text in about some questions around sexuality and some comments that you had based on the opening conversation we did with Ben Johnson. There was a lot in that as well. And so when we come back at the top of next hour, I'll get into some of those texts and some of those questions and also preview the next part of uh, Mornings with Carmen, in which we're going to talk a little bit about baseball. And we're also going to talk a little bit uh, of an interesting story of somebody who discovered some information they didn't know about their father, the need for mentorship as well, with a former professional football player too. So lots to come here on Hour 2. You can continue to text in your questions to 877-933-2484. And we will try to address as many as we can at the top of next hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.